at Whole Vineyard Church and um, I want to say a special welcome to you if this is your first time here. Um, yeah, we're just so honoured that you take the time out of your Sunday evening to worship with us and join us, whether you are completely new to this experience. We, we appreciate that this can be a daunting thing to come to a new church. Maybe you're looking for a church to call home. Maybe you're exploring... For- Okay, good, love that. Um, We're going to have our Bible reading now, so um, I'd love to welcome Paul up to the stage. Guys, give Paul a round of applause. Thank you. Paul and his incredible family have recently joined our church community, and uh, Paul has seven kids. What a man. (laughs) Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for the welcome. We are going to read uh, the Word of God in Matthew chapter 7, and we are going to read from verse 24. I read, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. So my Bible is just not moving. (laughs) This is the problem of electronic Bibles. So I'll just read, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it felt with a great crash. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Well, good evening, everyone. Great to see you. Um, If you missed this morning, I did part one of a talk called The Power of the Few, and tonight I just want to conclude this. And um, as Paul read, a parable, and um, I, I love parables. What is the big idea behind parables, these stories? A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. A parable is a small story, but with a big idea, a profound idea. Uh, This morning I talked about parables being like a ninja or stealth bomber, and that you hear these stories 
and then suddenly out of nowhere, you're just impacted and hit by the profound point that Jesus was trying to make. And so often with parables is that what it does is it sifts out the few from the many. Um, Many parables are there to both reveal and conceal. For those who do not get it, it is a story that conceals. But to those who seek and hunger and thirst and lean in to God's word and God's truth, is it reveals the point of the story to our hearts. And in doing that, Jesus may start out with a crowd of people, but by the end of it, there is just a few people who are leaning into what Jesus has to say. And one of the ways that we can be most served, as it were, by these stories, by these parables, is figuring out in the story, who am I? Which character in the story am I? And we insert ourselves so that we don't just receive information, but actually transformation. That we don't just enjoy a good story, we're not just emotionally impacted by it, but actually as we personalize it and as we insert ourselves into the story we say who am I in this parable this is what this parable makes me do it makes me ask a very very important question a question that all of us should ask this evening and the most obvious central question is this am I a wise or a foolish builder that's really the central point as, as we hear this and as we leave tonight, we've got to ask ourselves that question, am I a wise or a foolish builder? And it's something that only we can ask ourselves as individuals. Passionately, we believe as a church, as we read specifically in the, uh, in the epistles in the New Testament, that God speaks to a community. He speaks to the body of Christ. He speaks to a gathering of people, but the way into the kingdom, and Jesus talked about the narrow gate, the way into the kingdom is one at a time. It's by individual by individual. We can't go through based on how wonderful and godly our grandparents were. This is something that all of us need to decide for ourselves. Um, I was thinking about. Um, I used to go watch football matches and go to the stadium and you have those turnstiles and you go through a turnstile and only, you can only go through one at a time can't just a whole load of you go through you have to wait your turn and it's kind of like that this is, this is a moment where it is exclusive it's intensely personal so personal in fact Jesus talks about this frequently is that it's so personal you'll have to break often with your mother and with your father and your sister and your brother and your friends and your family. It's not a group event. It's admission one person at a time. And when we read these stories like this, is that it is deeply personal. So we've got to look at our own hearts, not look around the room, but look at our own hearts and say, look, am I a wise or a foolish builder? And the way we do that is to simply compare the two builders in this text, the two builders in this text, and you'll see a whole lot of similarities. You, you read it at first glance, and it's just, wow, these two builders look the same. They're both builders. 
They both build a house. Same location and area, same look, appearance. They endure the same terrible weather conditions. So everything looks the same. So Jesus is drawing us in. Tonight he's drawing us, the reader, in. And we're looking at it and it looks like they're just the same. The central thing Jesus, of course, wants to do is to show the difference between these two builders. Which, of course, is at the foundation. One, house is built on sand and on the other, it is built on rock. So just picture the scene for a moment. Though not geographically identified um, in the Gospels, scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount took place along the Sea of Galilee. And along this particular stretch of shoreline, uh, the summer sand was hard like rock. However, heavy winter rains softened the sand and caused disastrous flooding. Anyone building on that surface knew to dig down at least three meters, 10 feet to the bedrock, or they'd be in serious trouble. Had the appearance of rock, but when problems came, the foundations caved. So it's actually only when problems come. And like I mentioned this morning, uh, because we're, we're all going through different trials and temptations and tests, uh, we're all struggling in different ways. We're all carrying a level of uh, pain and wounding and brokenness, particularly from the last couple of years, particularly from the pandemic. And so as problems like the pandemic has come to all of us, this is something we can all say, yes, we have encountered and endured. As they come, we realize what is the foundation of our lives built upon? Is it sand or is it rock? And so drilling this point home, Jesus is saying, look, to these people, you may look like you're a Christian, but actually you're not. On appearance, you look like you've got everything together. You look like things are okay. You, you know, you have a fish on your car. Anybody still have a fish on your car? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay. Um, you, you have Christian t-shirts, you know, Christian guys cuddle better, you know, things like that. Um, thank you. And so we can all claim to follow Jesus. We can all read from the same Bible. We can sing the same songs. We can pray. We can lift our hands in worship. We can serve on team. We can do all the, these things. And yet, some of us, are wise builders, some of us are foolish builders. How does Jesus interpret what is a good foundation and a bad foundation? And therefore, who is wise and who is foolish? So he lays out all the similarities and then comes the difference. Here's the difference. Verse 24, they that hear these words and puts them into practice. Compare with verse 26, and does not put them into practice. So simply put, the person that is wise, who builds their life upon 
solid rock so that when trouble comes and persecution comes and struggle comes, is that we withstand that, is one who hears the words of Jesus and puts it into practice. The one that is foolish and builds their life upon the sand is the one that, of course, hears the words but does not put those words into practice. Here, you have the power of the few. This is sifting the many and the few, that only a few grasp this, that all of us hear the words of Jesus, but only a few put it into action. And these words are echoed in the book of James chapter one, where it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. They'd all heard the word. They all built on something. They all faced trouble. But one put the words into practice, the other doesn't. So, back to my point at the beginning. Who are we? Let's insert ourselves into the story, into the text. And Jesus, so often in these parables, is seeking and searching us out and looking for repentance, looking for change. And we ask ourselves, Am I somebody who loves to hear the words of Jesus and don't do anything about it? Or am I someone who loves to hear the words of Jesus and immediately I live a life of obedience? I put the word into action. And so as I read this text, um, I have four questions that I ask myself personally and I encourage you to ask these questions. First of all, are we even right now in a place where we are hearing the words of Jesus? Because if you don't hear the words of Jesus, you can't put them into practice. So are we even in a posture to yield to the Lordship of Christ through his word? Secondly, are we putting them into practice? So are we in a posture and a position to hear the words of Jesus? Are we putting them into practice? Thirdly, do we even recognize the rain and the winds and the floods and the storms. What are these? And fourthly, how can I put Jesus' words into practice when the storms of life hit? So when trouble comes, how can I then endure for a lifetime, have my roots that go deep, be committed to Jesus the King and his kingdom and his cause for the rest of my life? How can I do that? when the storms of life hit. And I think we need to push on all four of these pedals collectively. I don't think it's any good just to just do one of these or a couple of these, but all four of these things we need to be aware of. So first of all, are we hearing the words of Jesus every day? Um, the power of words is extraordinary. You think about your, your day and your week. It is made up of words, words that we speak and words, particularly in our culture and generation, words that we hear. 
We are bombarded, aren't we, by messages and words and scripts and narratives all the time. Whether that be through the power of the media, social media, films, books that we read, newspapers, blogs, whatever it is, we're bombarded by words and words have extraordinary power. There is life and death in the power of the tongue, it says in the book of James. So words are everywhere, but which words are we being shaped by? Because the words that we hear is what enters into our mind and begins to renew our minds one way or another and therefore brings transformation of our heart and which way we go in life. Much of the will of God for our lives and the plan of God for our lives actually comes from the words that we hear. And so it's so important that we filter out the words that we hear so that we can hear Jesus' words to our hearts and our lives carefully. The reality is, is over particularly the last few hundred years with the ascendancy of human reason and various other things, is that um, there's been a real attack on God's word, on the Bible. And we're seeing that today in an extraordinary way. One of my responses to disciple um, the church in our particular cultural moment, the reason why we've put Bibles back in the auditorium, the reason why we're going through texts, whole texts of the Bible, the reason why we're uh, actually listening to God's word is because there's been an accumulation of factors that has brought about a low view of Scripture, a destruction of Scripture. People picking and choosing what they want to hear. And so we, we, we now have a generation of people who, uh, who struggle to hear God's word and read God's word and say, yeah, I'm all in. I don't care if it costs me or I'm persecuted for it, but this is God's truth. And so we need to raise the flag and declare that there is a battle against the word of God, but truth is truth. And of course, there are ways that God uniquely gives us to um, communicate truth with wisdom and to be um, relevant to the audience that we speak to, which was all, always Jesus' genius, is that he used stories, particularly agriculture, which was very relevant to the times that he lived in. And we need to be winsome like that. We need to be wise like that, but we need to not hold back on what is truth. For it is only the power of the gospel that actually changes people's lives. We're not after people who just think, you know, I, I like that message. We want transformation of people's hearts. We want the kingdom to come and crash into people's lives and turn their world upside down. And that can only come through God's word. And so just as a, in parenthesis, as an aside, you know, for Joni and I, we're, we're definitely not um, going to be building a church here which is... Uh, an emphasis on what draws a crowd or a philosophy of pragmatism or, or what captures people's attention. 
that we talk about strategy, but very little about doctrine. As this world becomes more hostile to the truth of God, we want to be a church that does not compromise. That we will not compromise to be more attractive because we actually believe that Jesus in all his fullness and his words is the most attractive thing in the world. It is the aroma of Christ, that fragrance that is so powerful and potent. And of course, the temptation is we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be ignored. But we want to be a people who love God's word, hunger after it. And so I want to encourage you to be in a place and a posture where you're hearing God's word, you're in the word, you're reading it. You've got some good commentaries and we've got a couple on the book, in the bookstore out there. Is that you're listening to some good podcasts, is that you're speaking the word, you're just immersing your life in the word. And secondly, you can, you can get this, you can read God's word and yet still build your life on sand. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing here, isn't it? Is that you can be someone who just, yeah, I listen to God's word, I read God's word, but yeah, I'm a foolish builder. Because the word of God wasn't meant just to be read, like a menu, but we're to enjoy the meal. And to enjoy the meal is to take God's word and to live it out. That is the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So simply put, in this text, read the Bible. Hear God's voice, the Holy Spirit, and do what it says. C.S. Lewis has a a marvelous illustration of this, I think. He He wrote this, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something that would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this, I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next day. Who here likes the dentist? I despise the dentist. I mean, God bless them, but I just, I do not like going. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I couldn't get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling around with all sorts of other teeth when they had not yet begun to ache. They never will let sleeping dogs lie. And so it's so easy to hear the words of Jesus, but it's about putting them into action. The next thing is understanding about when trouble hits us. And I was thinking about the early church. You know, there were was, there was three forms of persecution you read in the book of Acts in the early church. There was physical persecution where people were physically Um, persecuted for their faith in Christ. Then you had moral corruption, compromise. The enemy went after those early Christians, the early church, with temptation to compromise, moral corruption. And then thirdly, distraction. 
If the enemy could bring anything to distract them from the pursuit of Jesus and the gospel. And nothing has changed today. Nothing has changed today. In fact, I think we're re-entering a season and a time, and that's why we're going to be looking at 1 Peter and Daniel in a, in a couple of weeks' time, starting that series, where we understand that we're a church, we're a people in exile. But we're re-entering a time like that more and more where we just know and sense that we're on the periphery of things, we're in the midst of tribulation, that, that persecution is coming, and yet it might not be physical, but certainly emotional and mentally the temptation to compromise for moral corruption and to be distracted from the gospel. And so what we need to do is that when trouble comes, we need to be in a place where we're hearing the words of Jesus and putting them into action. How could we do that? Well, I think it's really simple in terms of explaining it, but a lot harder to do. But it's about making good decisions in private. It's about making good, wise decisions that honor Jesus in the small things. So if we want to be prepared for like the big things, so often it's in the small moments, the little decisions, the private decisions that we shouldn't underestimate. So it may be things like how we speak with our tongue. It may be what words that we listen to in the world. It may be how we spend our money, our internet use, our habits, our rhythms. And I found this, that it's a lot better to make a decision before you have to make a decision. A lot of people wait for temptation, they wait for trouble or pressure to come, and then they think, what do I do now? And in that moment, I don't know if you've ever heard it this way, but in temptation, there is an absence of God. <laughs> that is what you people know in temptation. There's an absence of God. So there's got to be a resolve. There's got to be decisions that you make in your heart before you ever get to a place of having to make that decision. And so when we think about hearing God's word, what is God's perspective? What is God's truth on so many things, on so many issues of life? And we go to put them into action. When trouble comes, the key is, is to be making decisions in the private place, being faithful in the small things and making good decisions before we're even tempted. And so I want to encourage you finally is to not wait actually for the storms to hit before obeying Jesus. Don't wait for the storm to hit. Take the last couple of years. This pandemic has been horrific on so many levels. But people who had no foundation, who'd been building their lives, or maybe hearing the words of Jesus, but by not putting them into action, when we didn't have a pandemic, when the pandemic came, realized, wow, where's my anchor? I don't seem to be rooted. Where's my foundation? The storm has come and I'm all at sea. I feel like the house of my life is crumbling all over. And the issue is, it's a foundations issue. 
So many people want to blame God. So many people want to blame the devil. And what we should be doing is checking our foundations because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So he hasn't promised us anything we didn't expect. We will have trouble in this world. So when trouble comes, where is our anchor? Where have we placed our roots? What truth have we placed that in? And the thing about obeying Jesus before a storm comes is that it's so often slow. It's like not easy. It's, it's a, a building of your life, so it takes time. But we ask ourselves these questions, am I being obedient? Am I being faithful? I'll give you a few examples. Forgiveness. Are we forgiving when someone does something? Speaks ill of us or causes harm or pain? Am I being generous even in a time of lack? Am I sharing my faith still because Jesus has asked me to even when people around me are rejecting me? Do I look at Jesus' words on lust and anger and pride and greed and actively obey? Do, do I look at Jesus' words on submission and come under that authority. And it comes back to this. The foundation seems so insignificant, so out of sight, so unimportant. And yet, as we know, so, so well, that it is the most significant and important thing to have good foundations. Last couple of weeks, I've had someone come and paint the back of our house. And I had this revelation when someone painted the front of our house three months ago. But I'll say it again for those of you, I'm pretty sure I must have mentioned it somewhere online because I really felt like the Lord speak to me through this is I've been amazed. I don't do DIY. Joni does all the DIY in our house. Uh, not very good. I'm just not practical at all. And for those of you who know me know that's very, very true. And so in my naivety, I'm thinking I'm paying a painter to come and basically just put paint on the window frames. And we're two weeks in. And I'm thinking it should be just a couple of days. And the reason is, of course, is it's been two weeks of preparation. He, this guy hasn't even got onto painting my doors in the right color. I said to him, couple of days ago I said when are you going to paint my door green it's been two weeks and it's because he's been prepping the window frames two weeks of preparation and then in the last day or two he quickly just glosses all the window frames there's undercoats as well to go on and to make it look pristine and part of that is so that I don't have to repaint my house for another 10 years. And that's how we've got to think about when we're building a life for Jesus. Is that it, a lot of it is slow. It's hidden. It's in what we deem to be the lesser seasons and the insignificant moments in the private decisions that we make. But Jesus is preparing our lives for the next world. 
That is what is, what is happening. That's why, he, why we have trouble and persecution and trial and pain. Is that those who come through and persevere, we've been prepared in our hearts and lives for what is to come. And God is so often, because he's not in a hurry, we're in a hurry, but he isn't. And he's working in our lives, molding us and fashioning us and shaping us, transforming us. And he's doing a lot of prep work in our lives. And so I want to encourage you, particularly those of you tonight who've come here and you feel like this is a long, hard season and you're not quite sure where you're at with things, is to maybe realize that maybe it's your foundations, your hidden life, that God is doing a significant work in your life, preparing you for the growth that is to come. Yes, we want the nice house, we want the, the upstairs done, we want it all sorted, but God wants to build a house of our lives with firm foundations so that when trouble comes, we do not give away. So why do you stand up?